Light, the entertainment lighting podcast. Thanks for downloading. We're talking about lighting, the people that do it, and how they do what they do. We're on the web at castinglightpodcast.com. We tweet at Podcasting Light, and you can find us on Facebook at Casting Light Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Marin. My co-host this week is Teresa Unfried of Taj Event Production. How are you doing, Teresa? I'm doing wonderful. Nice to be here again. Excellent. I'm glad to have you. Uh, where can people find some more information about Taj? Taj Event Productions can be found online, of course, at tajeventproductions.com. Um, we have a Facebook page under Taj Event Productions and a Twitter account under at Taj Events. There's an Instagram out there somewhere, too, but I, I don't know how to find that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Our guest this week is Kevin Campbell. He is a video designer, video engineer, projection designer, projectionist, and knows more about video than anyone else I know, I think. Um, he has decades of experience designing video for musical acts, tours, <laughs> live events, installations, art installations. Artist, engineer, director. Yeah, all that stuff. All that stuff. Kevin, <laughs> thank you for being here. Oh, glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Where can people find some more information about you online? Um, I have a Tumblr, Video Visuals, that's all one word, V-I-D-E-O-V-I-S-U-A-L-S dot Tumblr dot com. And um, Video Visuals at AOL dot com is my email address. Wow, wow. that's so old school. <laughs> uh, now, how do, you, how do you know Teresa? Uh, Teresa, how do you know Kevin? We've worked together. We've worked together for yeah. numerous years. In the live event world. In the live event world. Spent many of an event talking to each other on calm. Yeah, in the live event arena, uh, (laughs) deathmatch. To the stars. To the the stars. stars. (laughs) All right, let's get started. Yeah, absolutely. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, What are you you in the middle of? What are you coming here from? Oh, uh, a two-week run of shows, uh, like 14. 19 shows in 14 days or something like that. It was terrible. Busy season. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Now, has that mostly been like projectionist stuff? Projectionist and engineer. Uh, you, be, you do both these days, I find, more and more. <laughs> so, uh, Wait, yeah. you can't just sit behind the console anymore? Nope. 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 Go put that screen up. Yeah. <laughs> sure, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yikes. Yeah. But it's great. I love hanging with the kids. It's, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> So, you know, as you know, this is a lighting podcast, and you are... I know, but, um, you know, I've always said uh, projection is the new light, so... I've always used video projection as a kind of a lighting source, so yeah, uh, I think it's quite appropriate. That's one of the reasons you're here. Yeah. Um, you know, with the, to, to sort of start, you know, I, you've been in the business for a long time, and in yes. fact, I heard about you at my first job after college, which, uh, you know, the first place I worked after college was the kitchen... Right. And I heard these stories of this, you know, this amazing video designer, engineer, projectionist. You know, you were sort of there as video became a thing and as video changed from what it was to what it is now. Right. Well, so when you started working with video, what were you doing and what was it? Well, um, first it was slide projections and film and slowly uh, video started to come in. Um, I did some of the first uh, CRT projectors. It was stuff that came out of NASA, you know? <laughs> uh, Ultra-bright CRT projectors. Good, like, 600 lumens or something. It was lots of X-ray radiation. But, so, uh, so initially, you, you know, you were using slide projectors in a creative sure, way. And sure, sure. Slide projectors. And, and, and then slowly video started to come in. And I started working with some of the first video stuff. And back then, it was very expensive and rare to find video stuff uh, so you would mix it with slides and I also did some video sculpture stuff worked with uh, Namjoon Pike on a couple of projection That's installations incredible. yeah yeah he was amazing you would you could do something which I called rotating the yoke on the back of a CRT which would warp the picture we would purposely warp the video image and that was something a look that everyone seemed to like um you could separate the red green and blue colors and warp them so that was very popular as well 
back in the day, the, the video projectors were very dim, but uh, you could do, you could mix it with lighting and slide projection and it would, you could create some really cool video, almost three dimensional kind of effects. It was really cool back in the day. So uh, you were working with video creatively from the very beginning. Now, it's sort of even before you were using it in an informational kind of way, which is what it was designed for, right? Right. We, I, started out, I started out doing the creative stuff, and then eventually in the 90s started doing the more informational stuff, uh, t- uh, data display uh, that you see so often today that are used in all the corporate meetings and stuff like that. So when was this, when, when you were first working with video? Uh, mid-80s, 85, 86 was when those projectors first came. I mean, they were from Titusville, Florida, uh, <laughs> right from NASA. Uh, funny stuff. They were well, always what, what, breaking down. What have they been, what have they been using them for? Uh, for well, um, they had been using them to project the images, video feeds for the NASA program, for the countdown and the computer, EGA and CGA graphics, you know, 16 colors, stuff like that. Really basic, basic stuff. Like simulator stuff? Uh, that came later. Um, it wasn't even simulator no. stuff. This was just sheer raw data. And then we would take those projectors and use them for, you know, video collages and stuff like that. What kind of projectors were they? Were they three guns? They were three guns. Um, was there anything else back then? There was one other company, Klaus Novabeam. And this company was ESP, six, like I said, 600 lumens. It was the brightest thing on the planet, or for a <laughs> video projector anyway. Uh, lots of setup with them, but they could do real low scan rate video. It's, it's amazing how far the, the technology's come as well, far as resolution, frame rates. So I, I feel like you know, even if people were working in lighting back then, uh, they wouldn't have necessarily been, they wouldn't have necessarily, necessarily seen any of this equipment. Right. I mean, were people using three-gun projectors in the theater? Uh, somewhat, yeah. There was some stuff, some RP, uh, RP projection. It was, it was, you know, you really have to light around it. And uh, we always managed to do it. Can you tell us how a three-gun works? And what makes it singular and why there are video artists that would still prefer one if they could get one? Well, um, it's different in that the image is uh, written on the face of a CRT. Uh, old cathode ray tube. These are ultra, ultra bright CRTs. The image is divided up just like today into red, green, and blue. Then you've got to um, overlay. Now you can overlay video projectors. This you had to overlay the three images, the red, green, and blue. So uh, a friend called it, you know, uh, working out a Chinese puzzle. You had to tweak the uh, face of the CRT so that the red, green, and the blue matched and overlaid. You also had to do it for the cameras back in the old days. Uh, You had to tweak and converge the tubes of your video camera as well. With the projector, it was kind of the same thing. You had to overlay your red, green, and blue so that they lined up. So you had a color image. It took hours. (laughs) (laughs) It would would take hours and hours and hours. And um, once the digital micromirror device came in, all of that was done. No more CRTs. Now you just overlay individual projectors. But LCDs came first. Yeah, yeah, the LCD and then then the DMD. I know, you know, talking about lighting and... Um, video convergence. I know, as I recall, one of the very first products the DMD was used in was a moving light, not a projector. Right. Very right, interestingly. Right. Yeah. That was the Icon yeah. M, which if you were doing gigantic events and corporate things back in the mid-90s, you might have seen. But other than that, you probably didn't. Right, right. And uh, I think the first one was like 6,000 lumens or something like that. That's pretty impressive, actually. Yeah. yeah. For the time. Yeah. Back then, it was amazing. You know, I imagine that since this stuff was so emergent, what were you using for playback? What were you using for synchronization? What were you using to make it work? Right. Well, a lot of it was... And, and what were you making it in? Right. A lot of it was <laughs> on the fly. I mean, we were playing back uh, laser discs. Uh, we were playing back uh, three-quarter-inch pneumatic tape. Not until the mid-late 90s did computer graphics really become part of the show. Just the processing power required to do all those graphics. I mean do some stuff with Amiga and stuff like that. 
It was uh, mostly video playback. There was no control. You would call it. Just pre-roll and then yeah, play? Yeah, and sync everything up. Kind of like VJing, you know? <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 What is it about LaserDiscs? I remember the video artist Benton C. Brainbridge once told me that he preferred LaserDiscs to almost any other playback method. Well, it was the granddaddy of the CD. Right. Um, you could install, you could insert chapters to play certain clips. It was higher resolution. It was a better looking picture than you would get with a VHS or three quarter. Actually, it rivaled or was maybe really close to three quarter inch Ematic broadcast stuff. It really looked good was used a lot uh, in home theater installations as well. Japanese laser discs were a really exotic media format. Very impressive, you mm-hmm. know, and for your Space Age bachelor pad, <laughs> you know, uh, to pull out the giant 12-inch CD. So with, with sort of no way to mix anything, you know, there's so, so no video mixer, uh, no way to have multiple sources and crossfade. Well, uh, crossfade, uh, y- y- you could do... Switching, vertical interval switching, video switching, you had to have time-based corrector. It was, you know, you, you could, you could have a grass valley, you could set up a, you know, an ENG studio situation. So you could have switching, but back for the stuff I was doing, it was mostly vertical interval and uh, there was no dissolves until later. And to do those, you needed time-based correctors for, you know, it was quite expensive, cost prohibitive. You were doing these projects for artists like Namjit Pike, you know, that kind of collaboration. You were also doing this, you were designing creative video delivery systems and video content for tours. Sure. For music tours. Mm -hmm. And uh, I believe some of the the first things I saw of yours along those lines were Green Day thing. Right. Well, uh, that was in around 2000. And... uh, I had a switcher for that. I had, well, so that was, yeah, that's, you know, so, so before that, yeah. so like, let's say the Steely right. Dan stuff, or right. even before that, right? What, what were you doing? What were you doing it with? Using um, well, one of the one of the cool devices that was used a lot by VJs and stuff um, was the Panasonic WMF fifty or something like that. It was it was a beige switcher. I called it the Fisher Price, my first video switcher, <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, and I was using that. It would take composite video in, and you could plug in several, you know, Laserdisc players, VHS players, three-quarter inch Matic players. And uh, it had, you know, some very basic effects and crossfade and stuff like that. Um, Your front of house must have been huge. Well, it just, it was, it was kludgy. <laughs> there were so many wires. Oh I remember someone saying, you, you videos, guys, you need to work your stuff out so that it's easier. You guys are taking way too long to pack up and set up. You know, it, I thought you had a you lot have, of cables you have, now. You have too many wires, <laughs> you know, was the thing. Oh. And yeah, yeah, it was, it was, we were always the redheaded stepchild, you know, it was, it was, it was pretty funny stuff. <laughs> well, a lot of it wasn't even designed to work together, right? No, no. yeah. Not yeah. in the way you were using right, it. Right, right. You know, what were these products designed for and how were you using them differently? Well, they were they were mostly used for uh, corporate installs, and like I said, this you know video switcher it was very basic, but uh, a lot of people were were starting to use it. It was it was the first kind of like prosumer video switcher, and you know it could do chroma key and you could do star wipes and diamond wipes and all kinds of great stuff. <laughs> all in one device. <laughs> all in one device. Yeah. So that's to cut down your your space at front house a little bit. Sure, yeah. sure. But so most of that was just on the fly. Yeah, just you know, you knew what they were gonna, you knew what the band was gonna do, and you were right, right. Um, And I still do that today. I'll, you know, if I, I will go to the rehearsal. I will listen to the music. I will listen to the music over and over and over and over and over again. And I try, you know, try not to create a narrative. Um, But uh, it's still sort of on the fly for me, anyway. I know, I know, there's all kinds of show control now, but I still really enjoy doing live VJ stuff where I'm switching live to the music, which is a lot of fun. So early on, um, how, is, how is integration working with the U plus lighting plus scenic? You know, what kind of conversations were you having back when it was all sort of a mystery what the, the stuff that you were doing was going to look like? Well, um, you know, I've always said if, if you can do a drawing that looks like the show, your design is successful. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> You know, we, it, there was a lot of talking, and a lot of drawings would go back and forth. 
it, there was a lot of communication going on, a lot of um, faxes and, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and stuff like that. A lot of what? Faxes <laughs> uh, going back and forth. But yeah, um, and and you know, that, that, especially with the slide programming, you know, that would you would run through, and there was a lot of mechanical things and the mechanical dowsing and stuff like that that you really don't have to worry as much about these days. But back then, you know, nothing like hearing the slide gates and, you know, 35 projectors going down. It's like, ka-chunk. And you're like, oh, the audience is really going to hear that, <laughs> you know? So. What were some applications in which you used slides? And how did you use them and how are they controlled? They were controlled uh, via a punch tape device. Uh, there were DoveX controllers where you could dissolve between two slide projectors. And uh, it would literally dim, uh, brighten and dim the bulb up and down. And, uh, and they would have these projectors that would create like an image montage. And you could do overlay and you had a grid that you would line them all up. Uh, very similar to what you do with video projectors today. Um, and and uh, that was, yeah, that was back in the mid, late 80s. I know somewhere along we, the line there. We were you still know, doing slide projection stuff. That the Datatron system came along and you could you right. know, full Datatron control was, from a single computer of right. all of your slide projectors and all of their right. advancing and all of their dimming. Right. And you had a little, yeah, you had a little box that would be at each, uh, each uh, projector tower that would control the the slide projectors. Yeah, the Datatron system was amazing. And it's still around today. It's, uh, you know, that's Watch Out. They still, they're still in the business. Yeah, look at the little uh, logo in the, in the upper left-hand corner, just above the word Watch Out. There it is, Datatron. Datatron, yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah, and I used to, I used a fair amount of Watch Out stuff as well uh, back in the 2000s. Uh, and, you know, created video, stuff like video masking, stuff that was really hard to do. Uh, with with regular slide projectors and video projectors, so that was that was one of the cool precursors of uh, what you call video mapping today was video masking and image warping. And that's where the flight simulator stuff came in too. Um, well, tell us about that. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, the first projection mapping that I worked with was at, at NASA Ames in Silicon Valley in California in the, the early 90s. And you would do these 360 degree panoramas. And you were projecting on a curved surface, so you had to warp the image. And, uh, and so, so that was the first project. It was used for flight simulators and uh, later for, you know, virtual reality um, <laughs> that never really took off. But uh, then I started using it for, I used it for uh, a tour. And it took, it took its own processor. You had to have a, you know, a, a computer for each video signal and process and warp the image. And how did they stay synchronized? It was a live video feed that would come in. Mm, I see. And into the processor and then out VGA. And uh, so you, you could, uh, I would create either Laserdisc or uh, DVD playback, and playback chapter, chapters. Datatron would synchronize the, the playback, either Laserdisc or DVD, so that they would fire off the chapter at the same time and everything would run synchronously. And uh, the image warp was just taken care of live through a CPU. And, uh, and it worked really well. Um, you could create some really big images. And that was like some of the first image mapping overlay uh, image warp stuff. And, and it came from flight simulators. So that people can sit in the cockpit of whatever, you know, a replica cockpit of whatever it is and see the world that they should be seeing based on right. the things they were doing. Right. So where, where, does, where does your content come from? How do you make content? Do you shoot stuff? Do you generate stuff? I, I do all of that. Yeah, I shoot all my own stuff. I do my own photography. I mean, um, I have in tours past, you know, uh, 
going through Stockhouse is creating what I call super cuts um, of different, you know, various uh, stock footage elements, uh, ephemeral video uh, from, and you know, the, the internet is godsend for that, for ephemeral video stuff. You know, there's nothing quite as enjoyable to me as watching B-roll from the 1970s. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> if you can find enough of that stuff to cut together, the internet is a really great resource for that. The Prelinger archives, uh, stuff like that. The what archives? The Prelinger archives. They're a great video, archival, ephemeral video resource that you can download videos. and It's all Creative Commons and copyright. So you, you you can use it for non-commercial stuff. I see. Yeah, sounds really useful. Yeah, it's a great great resource. The the you know the whole internet. I love that stuff. <laughs> so um so as so, so as this progresses, you're you know, you 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 keep touring. You're but the technology is changing around you. Oh, absolutely. So after after those those first tours where you're using um. Where you know you have your content on laser discs. When does this start changing, and what were the what were those next few tours like? Like say the Green Day thing we we mentioned earlier. Um, in the aughts and you know the two thousands is really when the digital and video started really to converge, um, um, and you know then you had stuff like the Spider and stuff like that. Uh, LED became much bigger player. So, you know, it, that's, that's really when it started converging, is in the aughts, for me, anyway. Um, oh, I understand. Yeah. Um, you know, and this, this is also when, like, creative LED modules became a thing. Where sure. you started being able to get something that could play back a part of an image. Right. And put it somewhere. And it's right. not just a screen or a right. monitor. Right, right, right. And again, you're, you're doing mapping along a LED surface now. And uh, and and they utilized all that with, like I said, spider and and uh, and stuff like and, and and video media servers, catalyst, and on and on and on. Well, so today, what is what? what do you, I know you. I know you. You built your own playback system. Sure, sure. For for VJ stuff, um, for VJ stuff, I keep it really simple. I have a mini controller. Uh, it's an intuitive uh, playback, you know, for mixing live. Um, for video mapping stuff, I have a, a, a Resolume setup uh, that I use for video mapping. And those are the two areas I'm mostly concentrating on now. That's currently the two two rigs that I have going. Okay. <laughs> also, also, you know, uh, programming and doing designing stuff in D3, which I've been really excited about and that's relatively new right and that's a relatively new platform um it it's uh it's unique and it's kind of a everything uh and and it does 3d mapping in a really unique way it's it's really inspired me to do some more design work you know projecting on various surfaces so and this is a case where you create a 3D model of mm-hmm. the thing, right? And then yeah, you and layer video over it. Over it, yeah. Oh, it's like what they do with with buildings and sure, that absolutely. Sort of thing? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, they were they're the they're the top of the line for the per building stuff. It's it's amazing. That that took yeah. off yeah. for quite some time with like the launches right. of, of brand new buildings that were being built and things like that. Right. It's right. really cool. Yeah, yeah. D three is really good at that. Yeah. But you can also use it for Mapping around cars mm-hmm. is another application I've seen it uh, used for, um, but just set pieces and the way you can manipulate the projection is really unique for that platform. To make you second guess whether or not that's actually projection or it's actually something yeah, happening, because exactly. I actually I noticed that um, I think it might have been something similar to that when I was at I went and saw an opera at the Met and it was my first opera, but the whole scenic element on stage we kept looking up and going there's a projector there there's a projector wait a second that whole site that whole set is projection right that right. like the bricks and everything is that right probably can, what they were using is something similar be, to that could be similar to that you know i've always you know um we, it's we amazing were, we were talking you know gotham hall 
um, with D3, if you created... Well, Gotham Hall, of course, has a venue on 36, oh, I'm sorry, on Broadway on 36th Street in Manhattan mm-hmm. that's We're, an oval with these massive marble walls that... And columns. And columns. really, really well. Right. Yes, it does. And, and I've often said, you know, if you did a laser scan of Gotham Hall, you could actually have light coming out of the seams between each brick. You know, it, it's that... Accurate, it would be so you know, much fun. It, it's it's that accurate. You can really project onto a three D object, you know, within millimeters. You know, it's it's a it's wow. it's amazing three D mapping for video. Um, so That's yeah, cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. You just have to get the object first, right? You know, you have to do that laser scan first, and and then once you've scanned it, you can play with right. it. Right, then you can map the video on it. In a really, really tight way, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an amazing platform. So you don't see a ton of difference between LED surfaces and projecting on surfaces. You, they're both mapping to you, exactly. Like you're mapping a roster to right. this thing, how, right. whatever, however that works. Exactly, and and that's that's yeah. They're both. They're just you know, one is reflective, one is transmissive. You know, it's. That's that's the only real difference. You're still using all those same pixels. So thinking of video as a lighting device or video projection as a lighting thing, when have you used that more specifically and what did you use it for? Well, I always, you know, uh, worked really closely with the LD. And, and when you, you know, you can complement each other. You really can. That's the whole point. You want it, you want them to... Either match or not match, or you know, um, you, you, it's it's really important to work with the LD, LD, and I always have. That's key to creating the overall look. It's just my design philosophy. I mean, I really don't know how to explain it any clearer than that. That's just the way it's always been. You okay. know? Mm-hmm. I feel like theatrically, video has been being eaten up by scenic more and more and more. What do you mean eaten up by scenic? I, I feel like that theatrically projection is handled by scenic and that the mm, that, yeah, I can see scenic that. design yeah. side is They're the ones that come up with the ideas basically is what you're saying. Yeah. Right, right. Right, and there's l- perhaps less video design and more video... Video triage. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Make this work. And yeah, I mean, uh, but, uh, you know, with... Uh, it's amazing the stuff they can pull off now as far as projecting on scenic elements and stuff. You can place projectors where you used to not be able to place projectors, and that helps a lot, you know. Um, that was always, you know, the bending the light was always a hard thing for the video guys to do. I mean, now that it's sort of, you expect to go into a theater and see a pair of, you know, 18K, 20K, mm-hmm projectors hanging off the balcony rail. Yeah. Do you think this thing has been lost by just knowing, well, we know we're going to have those projectors there that are that are using the proscenium as their roster. Sure. Do you think something is lost by not having to put a whole lot of thought into it beforehand? And do you think that some of those creative opportunities that you were talking about earlier, um, do you think some of those opportunities have gone away because of it? Well, uh, yeah, that it's taken for granted. And yeah, I mean, uh, it... it in a way, um, you know, I, I I was at a show last week and uh, and it had projectors. It was just used for surtitles and stuff like that. To follow the bouncing ball, uh, one look with the proscenium. So I mean, that was Pippin, right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. <I> just... <laughs> it, it, there's lots of stuff you can do now. Uh, some of it. You do start to see the same looks over and over again. I have noticed some of that going on. But as long as you have someone hungry and eager to design something, you're always going to see one or two cool things. I, you know, I'm going to I'm going to keep a positive attitude. You know? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I mean, I'm I'm just thinking about some of the you know drawings and renderings I saw from some of your work on tours. Um, if we can go back to that for a second, I mean, you know, if like let's take the the Green Day tour um none of what you did would have been possible if if it was just well we're gonna have two projectors and we're gonna be hitting the stage with them 
Right. I was thinking about all those creative things you're doing with the VersaTube and, and all of that stuff. Right, right. Well, um, you know, there, uh, actually, there was no VersaTube on Green Day. VersaTube I used on, um, on Steely Dan. I'm oh, sorry um, about that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, it, 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 you, you have to, the, the Green Day stuff, it, the moving backdrop thing is basically what, I'm, what I was going for with that. And uh, moving backdrop, uh, same thing for butthole surfers, that stuff. Actually, moving backdrop stuff started with 16 millimeter, 8 millimeter film and slide projectors. You know, um, so that harkens way back to, you know, mm. Magic Lantern stuff. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so it's been around forever. We were just still you know, doing it, you yeah, know, today. Still doing it today. Say, yeah. 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 And uh, and I'll be going to see some of it tonight, probably uh, at, at Glasslands, you know, one of their last shows. So what about the other parts of that? Um, what other part? So what you were doing for Steely Dan. Uh, Steely Dan was more textural stuff. Uh, uh, again, I, uh, for Steely Dan, I was the giant gobo machine, <laughs> you know, um, patterns and uh, uh, textures projected on, you know, material, uh, stretch fabric, stuff like that. And again, really crucial working with, uh, with the LD because... I was matching the lighting looks and uh, creating complementary looks for the lighting looks because it was so uh, textural and uh, uh, graphic. It was uh, rule number one, no faces, no motion video. Uh, When there was motion video, it was mostly motion graphics. Uh, So, or really simple scenes of nature, elements, uh, fire, water, stuff like that. Um, so that, that, that's, that's what I was doing with, uh, Steely Dan was stuff like that, being it, keeping it real psychedelic. <laughs> I, I see a lot of iMag seem to be getting used during, you know, during concert performances, uh, and it's almost seems like it isn't designed. It's just iMag and there it is. Right. Yeah. Um, that's, that's one of the things that's been, you know, the trend lately has been, uh, you know, it's got to sound just like the uh, album, the mm-hmm. CD, and you're going to want a 30-foot screen with a three-camera shoot, maybe even a jib, um, and that's your video, and, and you know, that's it. A, a jib not for the documentary film about no, the show, but no, for the show. For, yeah, the show. for the show. Yeah. Just uh, so those people in the back can see. Yeah, exactly. You know, because there are all these huge venues. You've got to have that, yeah. That sweeping camera shot. Or sometimes even for the people who are up front because they can't see either. Right, right. You were talking about the importance of working with the lighting designer. Um, Does it feel like that's happening less and less? In a way. People people are like siloed and they're just working on their own thing? It kind of has been stovepiped to the departments, yeah. They've, uh, you know, the the video guys do their thing. Uh, Lighting guys do their thing. Scenic and motion control do their thing. Um, Only when we run into each other do we actually start right. and talk to each other. Right, right. What happened and why? Uh, is uh, the media consolidation? I <laughs> blame uh, uh, the merging of all the different companies together uh, kind of created that, I think. Uh, everyone was relegated into different departments. Hey, it ain't a good thing. Being relegated into d- different departments? Yeah, I like I like to uh, know everything. Yeah, yeah, I like to work in. I feel like I did that when I was in theater. Right. I was like, I wanted to know whatever all the work things were. Sure. It's important. Sure, and it's important that they all talk to each other and work together. Um, uh, You know. For a while, I threw up my hands in the freelance world. I was like, it's video. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know what they're doing. Right. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. All I know is I have to clean up their cables. Oh my god. Those video guys, I tell you. <laughs> no, um, it, it's definitely changing. It's, uh, we'll see, you know, over the next years, what continue, as it continues to evolve. Will we evolve to talk to each other again, basically? Yeah, yeah. It'll, it, it, it's, it's, it's all merging together. I would say, I think with how much 
how much video is starting to become more and more of a lighting element. Yeah, yeah. That I mean, and it always kind of was in some respects, sure. but yet we still kind of looked at it differently. I think with us merging more and audio-wise, too, I mean, audio's got to be involved with you as well. So, I mean, when you get those three departments, I think the more and more we use it, maybe we'll come back to that. Sure, sure. Together. As it starts to merge back. Hopefully. Yeah. I mean, quite honestly, I think when we're not talking to each other, it's it's a sad thing. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. we could all get along a lot easier if we did. Yeah, absolutely. But maybe yeah. that's the thing. Maybe now that you're, it's becoming more of an element uh-huh. that we see more and more. I mean, I even see it in off-off-Broadway theater. Sure, sure. And videos coming back in. Mm-hmm. They're doing more and more of it. You talked about the importance of having these conversations. What kind of conversations do you have with your client? You know, whether that's the... The, the main artist or the artist's uh, sponsor or management, and what kind of conversations do you have with, with the lighting team? It's, it's always every artist is different. Um, every LD is different. If you, you're, you know, trying to create mood, looks. Sometimes you have some controversy. Uh, sometimes uh, I find that people want to create too much of a narrative they want to tell a story. They feel like they have to tell a story when, uh, when I'm really just trying to create a mood or a atmosphere. The, those are really the only uh, conflicts I've ever really, you know, had to work around. It's mostly about you know creating mood and atmosphere for me. For other people, it's about presenting a narrative, uh, creating a music video for every song, um, telling a story. Uh, I'm trying not not to do that as much. I'm trying to kind of stay away from that. And uh, sometimes that's hard to convince people of. Because it gets too literal, right? Correct. And it, and it gets it, it, yeah. it becomes the focus right. rather than the, right. the, the, the artist performance. Yeah. Right, right. And I'm trying to keep the eyes on the stage, on the performer. Uh, You're an element. I'm just an element in the background. Uh, as soon as their eyes go up to the screen, um, that's bad news. Bad, <laughs> bad, bad. Yeah. It sounds to me like there's a real difference depending on what side of this you came from. You know, in, in that, you know, you started thinking about imagery in a creative way. Right. It was more of, uh, it wasn't more, it wasn't an ENG uh, video news background or even video corporate background. It was more of a visual arts and uh, stuff like that uh, the background I came from. As a lighting designer, I've had issues, you know, trying to work with a client saying, well, we can use, we can do, we can do this thing with video. And in their mind, video is a thing that right. is projected onto a four, three or 16 right. rectangle it's, it's, that hangs or is set up somewhere in the room. Right. And that can be really frustrating. Yeah. And so you didn't, you like, you didn't start by thinking of video that way. Absolutely not. I started, yeah. It was something to be molded, manipulated, broken, uh, broken apart. That's where I started. Then I slowly started to put it back together. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. what, what's the antidote for thinking about video that way? And thinking about the creative possibilities that it has and being open to those suggestions that you, know, you might make. Right. Well, the, uh, like I said, you've got to think of it as a light, um, just another light. Not just another blinking light, um, but just another light uh, that you can focus and shape and mold and project onto something. Create a mood and an atmosphere with it. Create a really cool effects and really psychedelic. I love the psychedelic stuff. I, you know, it's 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 the fun part. That's that's the fun stuff. I use this word intentionally. What was the genesis of some of these concepts? Well, it was all, you know, people I've worked with over the years. I mean, um, as far as, you know, the first first one who really pounded it into my head about breaking video apart and manipulating it and creating atmosphere and light, it had to be Nam June. I mean, he brought me in, I brought in a video projector and he said, look, I want you to mess this video projector up as much as you possibly can do the exact opposite of what you normally do to make this video projector work. I want you to kind of break this video projector. And I was like, oh, I know I can do that. (laughs) And and I I did, you know, and that's that's when I I, I did. I remember I came home that night and I was like, 
uh, I was telling my wife, I was like, yeah, I was told to do the exact opposite the, of everything I'm supposed to do with this video projector, and it was amazing. Uh, uh, I've really, that's, that was a real turning point, and uh, I'll be eternally grateful for him uh, pointing that out to me. It was the first, first real experience I had uh, utilizing video in that way. And when I first saw the possibilities of that medium right before you, manipulated by you, you could, it, was, it was an amazing thing, you know. Have you seen any of his work recently? Uh, no, I actually haven't. Uh, there are some incredible, I mean, I just encourage anyone hearing this. There's a couple it up. of incredible pieces at the Smithsonian in D.C. Oh, that sure. are alternatively harrowing and mind-bending and yeah, he, will make you understand what video can be. Yeah, he was, he was the granddaddy of it all. Um, and uh, he had a great exhibition at the Guggenheim. I think, he's, I think he has something going on at Asia Society right now. Yes. Um, yes, that is true. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Ama the 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 one of the first video artists, just amazing guy. And uh, and what about now? What's you know what's your more recent career been like? Um, I know you mentioned that you're you're doing VJ stuff. Still um, doing VJ stuff. Uh, uh, still doing stuff for bands. Uh, I have started kind of editing video, uh, doing supercuts and stuff like that for bands, which is a lot of fun. Uh, almost had to eventually. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Ha almost had to. It was bound to happen. <laughs> and uh, suffering through busy season, mm -hmm. you know. The, the video climate is good. Uh, I'm, I'm quite positive. And like I said, I've, I'm really having a lot of fun with D3 and video mapping. And, and uh, there's smaller, brighter video projectors out there now, which is really great. Just so still occasionally doing pie charts and IMAG for oh, occasionally for presentations. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, occasionally. Gotta gotta run those auction slides and uh, <laughs> stuff like that. But that's fun too. In its own way. In its own way. <laughs> what would you say to people entering the lighting business? They're entering the lighting business at a time when video is going to be there in some form or another sure, for nearly sure. everything they do. Yeah. What would you say to them to prepare them for that? And, and what would you say to them to make sure they knew what questions to ask? And what, what, should, what should they try and learn so they can work with you and work well, alongside it's you important and not fight you? Yeah, it's, it's important to know about screen resolutions to, to get that concept. And to think video as light, not to think as uh, narratively. Try to think of it as another, another instrument in your palette, another, another color in the palette that you have. Yeah, uh, the the screen, uh, screen resolution and, and and keeping it a part of the palette would be my two biggest pieces of advice for LDs uh, learning to design with video. And what? Uh, where should they go for information? There's always the internet, my friend. Uh, <laughs> should they start? Should they start visual, video visuals? Uh, uh, sure, sure. I have a Tumblr. Uh, I'm, I'm video visuals at tumblr.com. Come and take a look. Uh, I, I, there's there's all kinds of great resources on the internet for uh, uh, for video design. Um, by all means, uh, you know, go out there and 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 search and 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 look for look for those things. Uh, I, I that's how I find stuff. It's a great resource. You can and it's out there. The, the, are you still pressing product into use that was designed for a different purpose than the one you're using it for now? Hmm. Uh, well, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm using a MIDI, MIDI controller to control my video, um, something that's usually used for lights or for music. Um, I'm using to control video effects and stuff like that, use it as control surface. Um, little boardroom video projectors are now, you can put several of them together and, uh, you know, create something it's totally not used for. You still breaking them? No, no, no they're not no, breaking them as no. much anymore. No, no. <laughs> well, so you you would now create those effects digitally, not sure, and not at the projector level, right? But. Sure, probably don't need to anymore. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, you don't you don't really have to do that <laughs> uh, unless you're doing like the sculpture stuff. I've seen some some people who have been breaking apart uh, 
little boardroom video projectors and using the dichroic filters and stuff like that to create video sculpture stuff, which is kind of cool. Yeah. You know, they're, they're still breaking, breaking some video projectors. <laughs> but, but mostly for the sculptural stuff and in, right. installations and stuff like that. Because now you can pretty much, like, like Jason said, it's like you can yeah, do a lot you, of what you were trying to digi- do before. Right, digitally. Digitally. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What do you see as the next couple steps for the business? Wow. Um, uh, the OLED, uh, roll-up screens, stuff like that. It's going to be really big. Uh, flexible screen surfaces I really see uh, probably in the next 10 years or so. Your uh, video screen will come in a roll-up tube, and we'll hang it like you would a, a curtain. Uh, that would be def- awesome. 4K, 4K is going to be the next step in the resolution field. Do you feel like resolution isn't high enough? Uh, I feel it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like there was, you know, there was a huge step from CGA to EGA. There was yeah. a huge step from yeah. EGA to VGA, a smaller step to SVGA, and right. then it sort of starts becoming like, I right. don't really know I see a, that I see a difference. Right, right. I, you know, I saw Inception, uh, not Inception, oh, geez, uh, that's a Freudian slip. I saw Interstellar last night in 70 millimeter uh, IMAX, and... Sometimes I just feel like my eye can't take in all of that image. It's, it, was, yeah. it was kind of overwhelming. Uh, but yeah, yeah. But it's, it's going there, definitely. It's, uh, there's no stopping it. Um, <laughs> Bigger, better. Yeah, yeah. As far as video projection, um, uh, ultra-bright lamp houses. Um, and you guys will probably start experiencing this in lighting as well, you know, with LED, mm-hmm. ultra bright LED lamp houses and stuff like that. We're starting to see that with video projection, uh, laser, laser lit DMDs, um, ultra bright video projectors that are tiny. I mean, you don't uh, have to have the monster. You don't have to have projector the anymore. monster video projector. Um, the power supply and lamp life issues are are going to be greatly reduced. Um, you know, it, now you have projectors with uh, a ten thousand uh, hour lifespans. You're going to have them now with you know fifty thousand, you know, and stuff like that. It's it's that that's that's the new projection stuff. I I think that's where it's going. Um, what about creatively? Uh, creatively, like I said, you know, more pixels. You're going to have more pixels, higher resolution stuff to work with. Um, you know, there's some fascinating uh, visualization stuff that's going on and particle simulation and stuff, I, you know, for, for the stuff I do, you know, psychedelic stuff. Uh, particle simulation, audio waveform manipulation, stuff like that is still... They're still doing really good stuff with that. What about latency? It's, um, you know, um, for what I do, if you're, latency, it's, it's not that big of an issue. That's more of um, with issues with iMag, making sure that the lips are moving at the same time that the speech is moving. Oh, um, I was thinking about, it seems like reducing latency would be a pretty useful thing more than adding more pixels. And, right. you know, I was, I was actually thinking well, even, even frame le- rates, I was thinking know. less about iMag and more about just creative uses and been about trying to do video feedback, you know, from off the performance to the back to the stage. Right. And, you know, trying to eliminate the gap that each piece of equipment adds. Right. Right. Well, you can help some of that with frame rate, but yeah, digital does add a lot of latency. Uh, that does become a problem depending on how many boxes you're going through. This is a situation of like keeping it up to speed is right. latency. Right. And having, right. is that like the humbucker thing? Sure. That well, I never I, really understood. No, that's more um, video timing that's stuff. That's timing stuff? Okay. Right. That That's like uh, when the person's at the podium and their lips don't match the video. Okay. Yeah. That can be really irritating. Yeah. A little oh, bit. Oh my gosh. Just, you know, even, even just for my purposes, you know, then you have audio adding, you know, delay. And right. Right. If that gets long enough and you can see the speaker on stage, that starts to become really, really disorienting. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Very distracting. Yeah. I can kind of read lips, so I can tell right away if this is, if this is a problem. 
And uh, I've noticed that sometimes people, once they see it, it 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 stays in their head, mm-hmm. and 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 they can't get it out of their head. And no amount of jiggering, it's going to make it look right again. Right. Never will look right to them ever again. Your and, eyeballs and your brain are a very powerful uh, thing. Oh, wow! <laughs> and, and if you mess with them, it's like they are very unforgiving. Yes. But uh, yeah, yeah, I've noticed. I've noticed that happen a couple of times with latency arguments. You know, where it's like, is it is it right? Uh, no. Yes. Yeah. No. I'm. Trust I me, no it's, it's, I, I can read lips. It's right. It's perfect. Have him clap. Have him clap at the podium. And uh, that's another test, you know, that you can do for latency. What inspires you now? What inspired you before? What inspires you now? And what video applications should people be trying to go out and see that will illustrate uh, what video can be and what it can be used for? You see stuff all the time. This is this is the greatest city in the world for that. Uh, uh, you see stuff all the time that inspires you. Uh, you know, I've I've seen a whole series of photos of yours of doorways. Uh, that's Stanley Kubrick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so the doorway series is uh, uh, Stanley was shooting Eyes Wide Shut in London and was building sets and. Uh, wanted the doorways of the sets in New York, the, depicting New York, to look proper. So he wrote his nephew in New York and said, walk around the neighborhood and take pictures of the various doorways in your neighborhood. Send them to me. And he did. And uh, I was like, that's a great idea. I'm going to go around and take pictures of all the different doorways that I that I think are unique in the city. And and uh, that was the inspiration for that. Kubrick is a great inspiration. Uh, I'm not alone. He's inspired a lot of people. That's true, but you know? also you. Yeah. Uh, not like I said, Namjoon Pike, a great inspiration. There's you know, uh, there's all kinds of um, uh, video artists collectives. United Video Artists. I worked with um, Artist Television Access in San Francisco. There's a real good artist community. You, if you seek it out, you'll find it, or they'll find you. you know? <laughs> There's always inspiration out there, photography, artwork. Um, I live in Chelsea, so I get to go and see a lot of fine art stuff that's always great. Uh, it, 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 this, is, this is the place to be inspired. Nothing quite like it. I'm, I'm happy closing on the note of... Come to New York and be inspired. Yeah, come to New York and be inspired. Uh, inspiration is all around you. Um, you just have to stop and look for it. You know, just just stop and look around. Look at your surroundings. You'll always find something, no matter where you are. You don't have to be in New York. Uh, you can be. But anywhere. it helps. But it helps. <laughs> it ain't bad. Like I said, you know, you can find it all around you. Just you just have to take a moment, look around, look at your surroundings, the people around you. And, and you'll find it. All right. Thanks All very right. much, guys. Hey, thanks, Tracy. You know, and Teresa, it's great seeing you it's guys. It's great to see you. All right. This has been the Casting Light Podcast. On the web at castinglightpodcast.com, on Twitter at Podcasting Light, and on Facebook at Casting Light Podcast. Thank you to our first guest from Video Village, Kevin Campbell. You can visit him on the web at videovisuals.tumblr.com. Thank you to my co-host, Teresa Unfried, from Taj Event Productions. I'm your host, Jason Marin. Thanks for downloading, and have a good show.